Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Engler. We are here with our fantastic producer, Nathan Yoder, and I am here with my buddy, my pal, the remarkable Amanda D'Angelo. Well, I thank you. I, so sweet. I almost said Bundy. I'm so. Oh sorry. yeah, don't do that. Don't That's do a no no. <laughs> well, we. Uh, <laughs> We have a fun conversation. We're here with author and speaker, spiritual uh, director. Um, I'll just keep adding titles. I might've got that wrong, but Marilyn Vansel, she has one of our top episodes ever. Today, we're asking the question, why is the Enneagram not enough? Amanda, any any starting thoughts or? I am just really excited about this conversation because I am someone who loves the Enneagram. And I think I'm the person who says, well, that's the one in me. And so I really just cling to it a lot. And I'm really excited for where this conversation is going because I think it's going to bring us to a healthier place with this tool. Well, great. Yeah. Well, well, hey, let's just get started. Marilyn, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I would be glad to do that. Well, I, um, I'll i start with this last weekend and back up from there is that we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary with a big party. We had a full-on church service and 160 guests came and our kids did some fun stuff at the reception. So I'm celebrating. I'm glowing off of that event and it was great. Um, married to my husband, Jeff, for 50 years. So I feel like, I think I'm supposed to be old, but I don't feel that way when you're, when you pass this milestone. So, um, and then backing, backtracking till the last, you know, since the last time we talked, um, yes, I did write another book called Beyond the Enneagram. Wasn't really expecting that I would write another book, but I did. And having COVID helped because it isolated, you know, wasn't anything else to do. And we also moved from Seattle to Spokane to be closest, closer to our four kids and their 11 grandchildren. And um, so that's been kind of the focus is this getting this book done, getting it published, and then loving on our grandchildren for their birthdays and events and all the fun stuff that happened around family. So that's pretty much it. And my dad turned 101. Oh, my wow. word. So this summer. That's Wasn't awesome. Isn't that amazing? Yes. So we had a big party for him last summer, and he turned 100, and he turned 101 this summer, and he hasn't aged since. I mean, he's just doing great. His mind is sharp. He's agile. He's he's an amazing man, and I'm so glad to have my dad with us still. So, so I'm just going to throw this out <laughs> yeah. there. My wife's grandmother just turned 100 this year. So I don't know what it is. Oh, there you go. I love it. That's incredible. Wow. Oh man. See, there That's is a big deal. Yeah. There is life outside the Enneagram. So <laughs> um, Marilyn, I I love the I love that update. Uh, I, I guess where I wanna start, because Amanda and I, we probably fit under the we love the Enneagram a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of our listeners that are about to push the pause button on this or push the stop because they don't want to hear about it. But this is probably the episode to end all episodes on Enneagram. So where I think it might be helpful to start with your new book, one of the chapters that I saw and read over, I think this is kind of helpful to talk about the stages of Enneagram interest, Enneagram journey. I think that that'd be a good place to start because I I think that it's probably, there's some truths in the Myers-Briggs, in DISC. We get this tool, we think it brings clarity but then we asked too much of it. So why don't you kind of talk our listeners through the stages and then that'll probably lead us to why is the Enneagram not enough? Okay, great. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, it was, these stages were um, kind of a combination of what I wrote about in my first book, Self to Lose, Self to Find, the stages, what the Enneagram meant to me personally. And then I, I, uh, looked at the stages of the spiritual journey, a book called The Critical Journey that had six stages. And I, as I was reading that, you know, at another time, not about the Enneagram, I thought, well, this is similar to the Enneagram journey. And so I won't go through those stages, um, 
the spiritual journey stages. But so the first stage, I think, on the Enneagram journey is that sense of awe. Wow, this is so cool. Wow, this really defines me or ooh, ouch, this is telling me about me, but really enlightening and, and, you know, kind of like, you know, when you first realize there's God, you you start to realize, oh, this Enneagram, it's so helpful. And you get excited about it and it's insight, insightful and, oh, wow, this is great. And so I call that stage the stage of uh, also comfort. Um, like, oh, I'm not so weird after all. This is just my personality. This is kind of the way I see and other people are like me. And also that other people aren't completely messed up. They're actually a personality, you know, they have a particular Enneagram type, so it's comforting. It's helpful to see this human, our human journey in the Enneagram. And we're not so, you know, mysterious after all. There's some (laughs) patterns. And then the second stage is um, using the, uh, learning about it. And so um, this is when, you know, you listen to podcasts, you read books, you get gather up all this information and then you share with everybody, you know, you hope they get on board because it's such a great conversation and there's a lot of interest and understanding. And so you just fill yourself with all this knowledge. It's kind of like in the discipleship phase spiritually. And also compassion. You start to realize, oh, wow, I have some compassion for myself. This isn't just, you know, these things in me aren't just, um, you know, random, but there's, I understand myself and I care about myself without judgment and also compassion for other people. Like they have similar struggles too, um, that are defined and described by their Enneagram type. So there's compassion for yourself, compassion for others. And then using stage three is using it productively. Like, how does this knowledge of the Enneagram, this understanding, help me live well and work well and work with others, have good relationships, whether they're in family or work or roommates or whoever? Like, this, how am I going to apply this information and go beyond it just being data to being really? Um, productive and applicable to life's journey. And so I call that to the stage of confession, like, Mm. oh, wow, I'm coming up against myself. Ah, these patterns aren't working all that well for me. Um, I I can try hard, but um, I realize there's a shadow side. It's not all wonderful. And um, there's a frustration that can come with that, too, and feeling like you're up a you just realize, you know, I've got some issues I need to deal with. And um, so it's confession. And then the last stage I call the, um, I'm having to cheat here because I have to read my own book again. Um, the, the Enneagram hits the wall. And this is when you realize the Enneagram is not the end, the end all, the answer all. It's not the key mm. that unlocks the mystery of who I am. There aren't answers. Um, to everything that everything I do and um, good or bad, positive or negative, isn't just because of my Enneagram type. Like it's deeper than that. It's kind of who I am at the core. Um, and on the spiritual journey, on the well, the critical journey book that I base this on, you know, they talk about hitting the wall with God, and you've got to go through this wall, and it's consent with. You come to a place of, I, Lord, I can't do anything about myself. I confess. I consent. Do your work in me. And it goes beyond the Enneagram. And I think after that stage, in those spiritual stages, sometimes the Enneagram isn't all that helpful anymore. It's like led you to this place, kind of like the, you know, the talks about the scriptures that the law leads you to repentance. And it's like a schoolmaster, but then you don't need it anymore because it's really God's work in you. It's not just the Enneagram work in you. And so it has a limit, I believe, and that's why I wrote this book called Beyond the Enneagram, that the Enneagram has a limitations um, to its help- usefulness past a certain developmental stage in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the four stages that I came up with in my book. Wow, that's that's great. It's very helpful. And I think that it excites me because I think this would get more of my people that I love on board with the Enneagram so that we can talk about it because I do. And I love that you recognize that it is a tool 
and it can bring us to a healthier place in our identity with Christ. Um, what would you say is um, like the things that you were seeing and hearing from other people about the Enneagram that really led you to this? Like what you, you shared the purpose of why you wrote it, but what, what led you to that conclusion? Was it your fans? Was it your family? Was it your friends with something internal? How did you get to that place? I think the main thing is, uh, you know, I became an Enneagram expert in people's eyes. And then I would do um, workshops and the questions that would come up on that, you know, I started seeing a confusion because people had so much information. There was so much coming on social media and in books, and it was all said a little bit differently than then, you know, the descriptions of the different types. And so people were confused and thinking, well, um, I thought I was a type two, but, but I kind of identify with type seven and well, there's something about eight, you know, and then, so it felt like there was more and more confusion when I first learned it. It was pretty, I felt like it was pretty simple because there weren't so many resources. And then the other thing in my work as a spiritual director and I, we don't um, concentrate, focus totally on people's Enneagram types, but I could hear the comments or from other people just in casual conversations. They'd say something like, well, I did this. Oh, it's just probably my two-ness. And like everything was defined, starting to be defined by this is my Enneagram type and it must explain everything about me. Mm -hmm. And we are so complex. We have backstories that are not described or not explained by the Enneagram. And probably the thing that would bug me the most in the right, a lot of writings is the childhood wound. And it's like every nine has had this childhood wound. And I think I'm a, I identify a type nine. Well, that's not my wound. I didn't have that kind of upbringing. Don't, you know, I wasn't in that category. And that we all have our own individual stories. And of course that plays into how our personality, our hardwiring plays out, but everything about us cannot be just defined, described, healed by knowing our Enneagram type. It's just helpful. It's a helpful tool along the way, um, but it has its place in the journey, but it's not the journey. And it's, there's, it's part of a bigger story. You know, so. I, I love, I love the way you describe that because, you know, I feel like I'm in a stage of serving as a pastor that whether I talk to someone that goes to church or doesn't go to church, we don't have this deep reflection. And what makes Christianity very unique is like the gospel talks about your motivations, like it enters into your story in this very broad and human way, but in a very personal and specific way. And I, I think what I hear you saying, um, and I'm trying to kind of phrase this, I think the reason the Enneagram became so famous in this season is because we lack the self-reflection and we found a tool yes. that talks about motivation. But I think even what you're saying is there's a, a, a depth that I think the self-help movement's been helpful. It's helped the way, you know, we behave and think, but for, I mean, for centuries now, we've tried to fix an internal deep problem with surface level answers. Is that kind of what I think you're uh, saying? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that, Peter. Um, yeah, especially, you know, there's other streams in the, in the Christian church that have supported more reflection, contemplative life, but boy, in the stream that I was in, that was not encouraged. In fact, it was kind of not encouraged. It was mm. just, you know, or it was looked down on. Like we don't need to be um, self-reflective. We just need to focus on God and Jesus, which is, is great. But um, so I do, I agree with you that when the Enneagram came along, it gave people permission and some, some, you know, rails to run on like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And paying attention to themselves a little bit. And that's what I love about it. It can be a reflective tool. Let me, uh, let me throw myself under the bus. Cause I, I think it might be helpful okay. for our listeners. And maybe Amanda's going to throw herself under the bus. She doesn't have to, but I never know. Um, 
So I identify as an Enneagram too. Um, so my my sin is pride. And what's interesting about what God's done done in my life, if you talk to people that knew me in high school, like there is this narrative, Peter's pretty prideful. Like, and it, it wasn't always in kind of this traditional way. There were some elements of being cocky and stuff. And and I, I guess where where I'm being pushed to grow is okay, you know, I'll say this to myself. Um you're going on strike right now because you don't feel appreciated. And Mm -hmm. like, it's not just enough to say that, but I have to go down deep. Like there's certain individuals that just push my buttons and they have no idea that they do that. Like they, like one of the, one of the things I keep saying to myself is it does hurt to ask. Like, people say this all the time. It doesn't hurt to ask. And it's like, no, it does hurt to ask. So Hmm. I think even what I'm kind of saying is there's a deep spiritual, I wouldn't even say wound, but there's this narrative that might not fit fully under the Enneagram, but it's this sense of, you know, for me to be significant, I have to follow through with this for me to belong. Like I have to fill this role. I need to be needed. And, and that's very gray, murky. Sometimes you're actually 80% motivated to do good, 20%. I don't know. Is that kind of where you're trying to land? I mean, I'm trying to just be transparent for our listeners because I, I think yeah. that that's kind of where you're pushing us to. Yeah. Yes. And that below that um, need to be needed or in my case need to be you know at rest, there's a deeper story that that came that that came out of you know in our upbringing in our childhood um in the messages we picked up we kind of, I, I think we were hardwired a certain way to respond a certain way or to pick up on messages a certain way um but when you notice that trigger like you're saying peter when you go oh, oh you know i i got hurt by that because i wasn't seen and people didn't appreciate me when i did that, when i helped them out well that's it's enough it's not enough to say well you know that's my enneagram too then the story is well where does that come from where mm-hmm. where did i learn that when did i start to when what other memories do i have or patterns do i have as a you know, developing person where it really hurt me when I wasn't seen or I was dismissed or I helped, but nobody liked me or there's, there's a deeper story. And that's what I said earlier. We all have our own stories that can get triggered mm. and it's not just our Enneagram type. Mm. Yeah. It's, is that, yeah, that's what I'm, you know, I'm trying to get people to look at, go a little deeper. Like, why am I afraid of that? Yeah. There's a story below the surface. Yeah, and how, God wants to heal. Yeah, and how would how do you play that out with um with people? Like, how do you have them find out the deeper story? What does that actually look like? Hmm. Well, um, as a spiritual director, I do that individually. I think people can do it, you know, on their own. I think it's really helpful to have a companion on this journey, therapist or spiritual director, pastors that helps with that because it's kind of a deep dive into our soul, into our, you know, the inner story. Um, it really takes pause and, and desire and intention to recognize this is holding me back. This is, this is a blockage in me becoming a full free experiencing all that God wants me to experience, created me to experience and naming it, but then going down, like, well, how is this familiar to me? And mm-hmm. I, you know, I, of course, when I'm working with spiritual directees, when I'm doing that, you know, I ask them permission. So they're, they're inviting me into their story. I don't just kind of lay this on people when I meet them, like, Hey, what's your backstory? But um, when they do, when we talk about, well, is there a memory associated with that reaction? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, something comes up and they go, oh, yeah, I remember this. And then we just ask Jesus to, you know, God, what do you want? Jesus, what do you want so-and-so to know about this? And allow Jesus' healing, loving, guiding presence by the Spirit to reframe that story 
so that it's not so triggering. So it's an inner healing process, which there are a lot of different modalities. So I'm, I don't have, you know, the corner on a formula for that. But really for me, I've noticed just inviting Jesus into that is really healing and hearing from God. I could tell a person all day long, well, you're significant, you're significant, you're significant. But if it isn't healed at a deeper level and hearing God say, you are significant to me, mm-hmm. so-and-so. Then, and when God speaks, it it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So I, I want, I try to help people listen to God. So speak I, to them. I, so I want to have some fun with you because, you know, in, in some ways, if I hate the Enneagram, I'm kind of loving this podcast. <laughs> but I, I also think it's important I'd love for you to take this two directions. So for those of our friends that are very skeptical against the Enneagram, encourage them, you know, because I think what you're saying is if it doesn't work for you, don't don't go after it. But then, you know, how would you encourage those friends that say, I love people and hate the Enneagram. How do I not look like I'm completely rolling my eyes while they're talking about it? Like, how do I be a helpful part of their journey. You know, how do you manage that tension? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm sure there's a gamut of the, you know, a long continuum of people's love and hate of the Enneagram. You know, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. If it doesn't resonate, it doesn't resonate. It's really seeking God, what does touch me? You know, if the Enneagram is helpful, then great. So if you have friends that are really into it, say, wow, I'm just so, glad that that's meaningful to you and allow that to be part of their story because it's a meaningful tool. And then, you know, wonder about yourself, what tools help me, what helps you help yourself grow and pay attention and lean into what God has for you. Cause the Enneagram is not the be all end all, but you have to allow and then people that love the Enneagram and have friends that don't like it, then, that's okay too. You know, let them not like it. It's really not, again, it's a tool, but we all hopefully have things, practices, tools, other ways that God has used to bring us to himself, to draw us to the center, which is really what my book is about is that God is drawing all of us to the center, to wholeness, to freedom and to glory and that there's different ways that God use God goes about doing that, and the Enneagram is one of them. I hope that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. What would you say is the center? Like, just give us a quick definition of the center. Ah, that's a big question, because my subtitle is an invitation to experience a more centered life with God. And then I realized, well, I, I don't know that I really define that very well, but mm. um, I just believe, you know, it's union with God. Jesus, the prayer of Jesus in John 17 said that we are one, I and you, you and me, them and us, this union, this relationship, this intimacy, this connection at a, in our spirits with God's spirit. And on my first, in my first book, Self to the Self to Find, I introduced putting this spiritual center, not just the head, heart, and gut, but we have a spiritual center in the middle of the Enneagram. And that if we are drawn to, as God draws us to a deeper relationship with God, then we are equidistant from all the types for one thing, but we just experience the love and the joy and the peace that Jesus promised that are the fruit of the spirit. And we just have that poor, you know, more defining, describing our lives, the more connected we are with God. If we're trying to be that, it doesn't work very well. And so I call it the drawing. God is drawing us toward the center in however many ways that that happens. And it's, it's you know, I have several movements that I talk about in the book that we can start to experience more and more when we are um, willing, surrendering, face, you know, turning towards God and allowing God to transform us. And it really is which way, which way are we turned? Are we turned away being in our, own old patterns and doing it on our own or we turn towards God and trusting that God has us drawing us on a journey towards all those the things that he that God talks about 
God promises us, God created us for. I love that. Um, I I actually think this is a question for all of us, you know, because, you know, I gauged a little bit of the book. Um, I was able to get it early, but, you know, sometimes, again, I'm going to be transparent and just try to kind of describe what that might look like, because I think what you're saying is there's general ideas of what a life centered in God looks like, but then there's like personal. So, you know, I was thinking about this, um, you know, I was giving my two daughters a bath yesterday. My, my phone was in the other room, um, and they're just laughing at each other. Now, my four-year-old Haley, like, thinks she's mom, so she's, she's kind of trying to hug Lucy in the tub, <laughs> and, you know, I wasn't reactive. I was just, hey, Haley, I, I see that you're trying to love your sister. I don't want you to bang your head, so can <laughs> we not? Like, and there is at least three minutes of that that I stopped and I go, this is how God enjoys me. And to be mm-hmm. able to kind of realize that, um, I, I don't know if that's like a practical sense of, I wish it was longer, but just a very centered moment that I'm looking, and it's not, and I wanna be careful, like it wasn't a perfect moment. Like if you walked in, it was chaotic, <laughs> you know, water's going everywhere, the kids are laughing, but it, it was a moment that you kind of sit there and. It's a little taste of centering of like, I'm fully in this moment that God has for me. And I'm even asking that it, first of all, is, is that kind of what you're looking for? And second of all, and I even want Amanda to answer this too. What does that like look like in a moment for you? So people can start to think about what that would look like in their life. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like a Kairos moment Mm. that was holy in the moment, in the present, you know, and all we have is the present. We only have the present moment and we're always going backwards or we're anxious about the future, but to pay attention and to be alert to those moments, those, those, you know, just those Kairos moments that come to us where we have a sense of something bigger than us, Mm. uh, a relationship, you know, a sense of God in the middle of our ordinary, ordinary, ordinary lives that are chaotic bath times, Mm -hmm. but that there's something bigger and more spirit, you know, spiritual on the spiritual realm to be bigger and holy and sacred about these small, ordinary moments that we have every day. And part of our journey is to be more alert to those. And we have to be kind of just let be, be bring ourselves into you know a place of attention and intention to notice and it's just so easy to get so busy and caught up in our everyday lives which is okay to you know it's part of living but to attune ourselves to the bigger story that's happening I think mm. it's really sweet and that was a sweet moment you had Peter with your two splashing daughters in the bathtub <laughs> and you had a, a sense of something bigger, a, a divine moment for you beyond what that was. So those are, you know, grasping those and letting them sink into us, letting them nourish our spirits is really important. So let me yeah. come back to you and then we'll ask Amanda. Um, I, I guess I'd be curious, you just celebrated your 50th anniversary. Did you yeah. have you call it Kairos, we'll use the language like center. Was there a moment that you felt really centered with God, but also, you know, we have some people that are dating and that are married. Was there a moment that you kind of felt like centered with God, knowing that your husband was there too with the 50th anniversary? Um, Are you talking about the celebration this weekend? Yeah, the celebration. The Kairos moment then or in my marriage in general? Um, I would say for the celebration both? this weekend. Yeah, or both. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll take whatever you give us. Well, I'll tell you what the, I'll tell you what the Kairos moment was for me in the celebration. I just wanted to stop everything and take it in. Mm-hmm. Is that we actually did a service and we did it at an Episcopal church that we had been going to before we moved. And so we served communion to everyone, the, the, the table, the Eucharist to everyone. And my husband, Jeff, and I, me, the rector and I were on one side. He was giving them the bread, and I was giving everyone the wine. And my husband was on the other side of the altar doing the same thing with another part of, you know, person at the church. But my whole family was sitting on my side of the church. So the first people that came up and knelt before me were my kids. 
and my little grandkids. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I just wanted to stop time and say, I am blessing. I, I, you know, I, I can't even tell you what that moment was. And I was kind of having to rush on, but I wanted to say, hey, everybody stop. You know, my little granddaughter who's five, Olivia, she's looking up at me. Of course, she's not doing the wine, but she had the little wafer. And I'm blessing her. That was my job is I put my hand on her and, oh, bless you, Olivia. And I think this is really something to do. And her little eyes are looking up at me like, Mimi, you know, <laughs> it was amazing. And my children, my, the spouses, 11 grandchildren from 20 to 5, I'm serving them in this moment. So there you go. That was my Kairos moment that I'm still pro not processing, but savoring wow and so yeah. yeah it was amazing that's a great example and, mm -hmm. oh go ahead what were you gonna yeah. say well you know that was just we're in the midst of this big service and that moment was really holy for me i don't know how they experienced it but i certainly was taking it in so yeah. well yeah. now we got to hear from amanda well it reminds me of my wedding day when there wasn't a center aisle in the church, so I had to come out from like a side door, walk a little bit, and then I was at the end of the aisle, and I saw who I could cry thinking about. I saw Nick, my husband, and I just saw all my loved ones, my parents, and I said, this is the culmination of all my prayers as a single woman to find my husband. Oh. And it was just, I, you see me in the video, I stop, and I try to like compose myself, and I just like absorb the moment because I said, this is everything I prayed for right here. So... Totally, totally hear you with that. Um, but then I think about just this past weekend when I took Friday morning to have a, have a Sabbath, I'm processing something where, you know, I'm really not sure what I should do and what God has for me. And I told my friends, as I'm spending time with God this morning, I just want to hear from him. And I was hoping to get out of it like, all right, between these two options, this is what I want you to do. But instead, God says, mm -hmm. trust me, walk with me through this. I've got you, you're mine, and do this one step at a time. And I said, of course he's going to tell me that because he's my father and he wants me to trust him and he knows what's coming more than I do. So I appreciate and applaud you, Marilyn, for the book that you wrote that you are leading us and reminding us of what is truly important. And as you said in something you said a little bit ago, in our ordinary, ordinary lives that are so repetitive and mundane or chaotic and busy, we need to be reminded that we are Christ. We are his. We can find our identity in him. And I think that we'll never get old. And I, you know, sometimes John 3.16 gets so overused, but I really don't think it should be. I think we should constantly be hearing that God came to save us and he loves us. Um, so I just appreciate the content that you've written and I'm excited to read it. Honestly, I think it's, it's going to be big for people, whether they love the Enneagram or not. So thank you for your heart in that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you, Amanda. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this. Cause we have some friends that probably are de-churched and unchurched and you know, you're painting this picture of the gospel that it's it's all in company all encompassing it's the good news of jesus it's you know like the enneagram in in the most perfect sense is ultimately leading you to a characteristic of god but also you know some sinfulness and brokenness you know i i guess some of our listeners and and maybe even me the the hard thing with something about being centered is that's that's not something that's measurable um, that's something that, you know, just, it's a feeling. And so hmm. how do you manage the tension of, Hey, this is something that is tangible, measurable versus this is something that's intangible that you, you have to sit with. I mean, how do you, how do you process that? Yeah. Good question. And we're so prone to want measurements, checklists, um, okay, got got my spiritual transformation done, check, check. And it, often it's in looking back, don't you think? Like mm. you kind of go, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. Or, oh, I've changed a little bit. Um, and seeing those, and, and so much of my book, um, when I started writing it, I thought, 
and you'll read that in the introduction, I thought, well, I don't have anything to say other than what I've experienced myself and what's in the pantry of my life um, because I saw this book like a pot of soup. And so it was really holy and helpful for me to even look back at the breakthrough moments that I've had in my life and see how, how God was so involved in these very ordinary places. I also was leaning into those ordinary places and seeking God and leaning, you know, turning towards God. And so um, I think it's hard when we want a measurement because we can, if we, if we're putting up a measurement, we're going to fall short because we're never, you know, we're going to see ourselves as well. You know, I may be patient, but I'm not that patient or I may be, I was joyful yesterday, but I'm not joyful today. What's wrong with me? Instead of really savoring the growth, savoring what God has done and trusting that God is continuing to do work in us to bring us more and more to the authentic, wonderful, creative person, beloved person that God designed us to be. So to trust, I think that we're on a, we're on the journey and to be hopeful about the journey, not judgmental and and measuring it along the way, because it's kind of not measurable, really. I think mm -hmm. that talks about being immeasurable, immeasurable grace and love is beyond our capacity to put it in a box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as an Enneagram one, I appreciate that because I don't need, I don't need any more checklists <laughs> or standards for myself. Um, so uh -huh. what would you, has that changed how you walk someone through uh, the process of being like more self-aware? Like, obviously you are pushing them to be more at the center. You're pushing them more towards Christ. Like, are you kind of slowing people down and like taking a back seat to say like, okay, let's actually talk about where you're at right now in life. And you know, where is God leading you? What's he saying to you? Like, is that it more than let's figure out what your number is? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think knowing, you know, and I, it's the one-on-one -on -one work that I do with quite a few people that I most, you know, I spend a lot of time with. Um, when I do workshops on the Enneagram, it's hard to get into the, you know, the deeper things, but and I can encourage them to do that and offer space to do that. But um, really helping people to, I don't have a formula for them. And I don't, I'm not a formula person. I've never had a real rigid way of connecting with God. So I can only be what I am, who mm -hmm. I am with them. So I don't put on a you know, there's not like, okay, let's go through this workbook together. I don't have any of that. Great. It really is, like I, I think I said earlier, just pausing. And I mean, my favorite question to ask and help them ask is, God, what are you saying right now? Mm. What do you want? What do you want Linda to know? What do you want Steve to know right now about his situation? And this inviting them to listen and trust sometimes they'll just go oh this is kind of weird but um and then it's it just makes so much sense i and i love going through identity exercises with people to help them put aside the all the false identity labels that they have you know like name tags they've stuck all over themselves and and help them listen to god tell them who they are and to believe that and I love people, I love it when people get an image. Like for me, I have a one identity name is a radiant rock. And so, and then unpacking that, what does it mean to be a radiant rock? Well, a rock isn't very radiant by itself, but if it has an internal light, then it radiates out or the sun's shining on it, it looks radiant. But a rock is steady and solid, you know? So I help people just, I love it. I love helping people with their having a sense of their true identity, their authentic identity, rather than the false one that they've been carrying around. So that's always a beautiful thing for me. Yeah, I was to just do. gonna ask, do you love this approach more than you're figuring out someone's number? Or have you always done yes. it this way, but realized that I need to actually put this in a book and actually let people know this is how I help people be more self-aware and draw closer to Christ? 
Well, it certainly has come out of my own growth, my own spiritual journey. I haven't always been that way. It was more like, woo, the Enneagram, let's figure out your Enneagram type, which was insightful too. I mean, I love helping people discover that. But as as my own journey has been, um, just living into my true identity as a follower of Jesus and how God sees me, I just get thrilled when mm-hmm. I when people discover and own who they are. I mean, I just, I, I love doing that at a, like a, whim, a retreat when everybody, I have them write down their false names at the beginning of the retreat. And then we go through this identity exercise and then what does God tell you? And I said, write it on the other side of your name tag. And then they're just showing people, this is really who I am. And it's just a beautiful moment at the end of a retreat for women to claim their true identity, whoever's there, but usually it's women's retreat or something like that. And it's really, it's just thrilling because it's a God thing. That's nothing. I cannot tell them who they are or come up with the image that God gives them. Sometimes it's just amazing what God shows them. And Mm. so I love that. Wow. Before we kind of close, this has gone way too fast, and I love this. And just by the way, this uh, this episode is coming out the day that Marilyn's book comes out. So make sure you check that out so whenever you listen to that. So I don't want us to go through all the um, Enneagram types. So I'm, I'm wondering, with your permission, there's kind of three stances of the Enneagram. There's, um, there's the aggressive stance, which is... Uh, three sevens and eights there's the dependent stance which is one twos and sixes aggressive they're more forward leaning they go after things dependent Mm -hmm. they're more aware of the people in their surroundings and then there's the withdrawing stances which um are five four fives and nines and so in using those three languages and kind of going through our question why is the enneagram not enough walking people through like how would you approach an aggressive, a dependent, um, and then a withdrawing stance type person to help them kind of push beyond that? I guess I think the stances are helpful because even if you don't know the numbers, you kind of have an idea of those three labels. You know, as you wrote mm-hmm. the book, as you meet with people, what's kind of their wall, so to speak, in those three areas of kind of getting there? What are some general stuff? I, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I do love the stances. I think they're really helpful. And I use those a lot when I present the Enneagram, especially with teams of people that work together, because it's helpful to know that every there's three different ways that energy is being expended and that there's those that their energy is pushing out forward like the assertive and they're ready to go. Let's come on. And then they've got the withdrawn that are saying, now, wait a minute, slow down. And they can get frustrated with each other. And then the the ones that are just like, let's just get this job done right now. Let's do it now. And, and, you know, it can create a misunderstanding and slow down the process of working together. So I love the stances. Um, let's see your question. Um, well, I think for the assertive types, they just need to sit back in their chair and take a deep breath and be in the moment, not be pushing forward and allow what is happening in the moment to be happening and to accept that that's where God is. God is in the present and mm-hmm. that they can slow down. Their desired future isn't out there. It's right here and right now. That's all they have, that we have. Um, for the withdrawn types, I think they need to do the opposite and kind of lean in, lean forward, and own their own the wisdom that's within them. And they still have to take some time to process, but and to ask people to wait, just wait a minute. I will come up with something and not get feel uh, kind of dismiss themselves like, well, I'm just taking too long for this or I don't know enough. And so they kind of have to come to a centered place too. like, hey, I have something to say that's really important or to contribute that's important instead of holding it back and with, you know, staying in the background. And then the I call it the compliant types or dutiful types. They need to just kind of 
chill as well <laughs> and not go to the task like okay then this is what we're going to do this is what we're going to do this is what we're going to do like they're they're more in the present moment like okay let's get busy let's do this now but also the same thing is to pause say i don't need to do that right now i and what is mine to do and what's mine not to do what can i let go of instead of feeling this pressure like i've got to do it all for everybody here in the group um, or for myself. And so in all of case, on all cases, it's pausing, taking a deep breath and centering yourself. Now, where am I right now in this moment and what's going on in me? And, and just, just listen to all that energy in whatever way it's coming or not coming <laughs> and just kind of, you know, and I just tell people, you have to pause. We just have to pause take a deep breath and be notice your center notice god notice where you're at and what's going on inside of you so i don't know that's not super practical but that's why i see it i yeah. i actually think it is i think so too. i i think what i hear you saying is you know there's a moment that you actually have to do what is seemingly unnatural to you yes. so for the yeah. for the go-getters for the like for those that are so re relationally in tune, um, it's, hey, like slow down. But then even for the withdrawing, it's, hey, you you want to hold on to something or like you want to step back. You know, the the uncomfortable thing is, no, we need you to take a step forward. I, I think that that's kind of yeah. what I'm hearing you say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do the unnatural thing, not the thing that your reactives, you, you know, you're kind of reacting to, but to pause and respond from a centered place, not from a kind of automatic reactive place. So that's important. Wow. This, this, you know, this whole episode went fast. So mm -hmm. it just means you're, you're going to have to join the three times club, you know, <laughs> so we're going to have to have you back on again. So I'd love to. Let, let's, uh, let's close with the question we always ask. What does Jesus have to say about this topic? So like what we always say, um, Amanda and I are going to respond to this and then you're going to, um, you're going to clean up whatever mess we make. Does that sound good? Okay, sure. Yeah. So when, as we were talking, the Psalm 139 came to mind, it says you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think that brings me back to the reality of like, I will find everything that I need to know about myself in him because he created me. Um, mm -hmm. And that to me feels very centering. Like it feels very um, like I can know and be very self-aware when I know who I am in the Lord. Um, and going back to my genesis, like my beginning. Um, so that's what I would say is that Christ would say, you know, you, yes, you can figure out all these things about, you know, your personality, your tendencies, your motive, core motivations, but I made you and I know who you are and where you're going and where you've been. So come back to me and, um, and let me leave you. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, the whole time you're talking, Marilyn, and <clears throat> just hearing Amanda's perspective, I, I had this story from the Gospels. So Jesus goes, uh, there is this pool that people believed would heal people, and there's this mm -hmm. lame person that um, if you got in the pool when it bubbled up, you were going to get healed. So Jesus walks up to this lame person and says, do you want to be healed? And his response was, I can't get into the pool. And Jesus's response back to him was, you know, if you believe, take up your mat and walk. Mm -hmm. And throughout this whole conversation, I've just been thinking about how often, you know, do we say to Jesus, and maybe somebody might send me an email on this, Jesus, I just want to know my Enneagram number. Jesus, I just want to fix this behavioral problem. And and Jesus goes, no, I, I want to heal you. Mm -hmm. um, and we're looking at something so specific. And I don't think that that pool was a bad thing. It was actually seemingly a good thing. But I, I wonder how often we're not seeing that Jesus is right with us. And I think that that's the power of that story. Mm, yeah. Amen to both of you. That was awesome. Thank you. Um, how would I end this? Um, 
Well, my favorite chapter in my book is the last one. It's really the one I wrote first. It's called From Glory to Glory. And I believe that we start in glory. We start with glory and that our process of spiritual transformation is moving us to greater and greater glory, not less and less. I think that we've been taught that we need to decrease so Jesus would increase, but I think we can both increase. And that Jesus, when he walked the earth, like he did with the man at the pool, was inviting people to be more and more and and not less and less, but more and more, more whole, more, as you said, Amanda, them, their truest self that they created, that he healed people, not just physically, but in, internally. And so that's our destiny is that we are being, in, we are on this journey. And if we turn toward God and receive God and stay on the pilgrimage toward God in however way it shows up in our everyday life, then we are being transformed from glory to glory. And it's a, and it, if we hold on to that destiny and believe that, then, um, you know, that's courage for the journey. Even when the there's obstacles and stumbling blocks and U-turns on the way that we don't understand. But if we hold on to that, that we are being transformed from glory to glory. I think it's a beautiful thing. So, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Wow. What a great, what a great place to close. I love that. Um, so Marilyn, um, your book Beyond the Enneagram comes out October 20th, I believe, or around that date. 18th. Um, yeah. 18th. So, um, yeah, so make sure you check that out. Marilyn, if people want to follow you, where's the best place for them to go? Best place is my website, MarilynVansel.com. And I love to hear from people and I try to respond <laughs> within a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, that's the best place to be in touch with me. So. Well, that's great. Well, Amanda and Nathan, thank you so much. Uh, Marilyn, thank you. If you want to get a hold of us, go to whygotwhypodcast.com. Click the subscribe button. You'll get this episode and every other episode. Remember, we exist to respond to the questions you didn't think you can ask in church. This is obviously one of them. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) 